The Wonder is a film adaptation of Emma Donoghue's novel of the same name. It's set in poverty-stricken post-famine Ireland. In the film, Florence Pugh plays Lib Wright, an English nightingale nurse who's called to rural Ireland to bear witness to what some consider is a miracle, but what others could suspect is a complete hoax. A young girl, Anna O'Donnell, who is profoundly religious, has not eaten for four months, and yet she appears physically unscathed, surviving, as she says herself, on manna from heaven. Lib, the Nightingale nurse, has her own trauma to bear and isn't welcomed into their home by Anna's family. But as time passes, Lib forms a bond with Anna, played by Keela Lord Cassidy. What emerges is a gripping story of what happens when logic and superstition collide in a troubled place haunted by the lingering memory of mass starvation and institutional neglect. The film was shot in rural Wicklow and in Dublin and it boasts an impressive cast, Kieran Hines, Tom Burke, Toby Jones, Elaine Cassidy as Anna's mother to mention but a few. Neve Algar plays Kitty, a member of the O'Donnell household, but also a curious kind of all-knowing guide for us through the film. Emma Donoghue has said that when the prospect of filming the novel arose, she knew she wanted the Chilean director Sebastián Lelio to direct. He won an Oscar in 2018 for his film A Fantastic Woman. And recently when I spoke to the stars of the film, Florence Pugh and Neve Algar, as well as director Sebastián Lelio, I began by asking Sebastián what it was about the novel that brought him on board. I, I fell in love with Emma's novel right away. I think, I mean, the, the, the world she created was so rich. But also I really connected with um, the two women at the centre of the story. You know, Lib, um, Florence's character, and the girl. The girl that is allegedly surviving without eating and is fascinating. And, and I, I really loved the sort of like transgenerational sorority that takes place between them. I thought it was a unique relationship to portray in a film. And I also really, really connected with Lip's journey. The fact that she's a rationalist, a scientifically minded uh, person that has to somehow transcend reason uh, when she's faced with the moral dilemma and act beyond rationality in order to save herself and hopefully the girl. I love that journey. And for you, Florence, did you go back to Emma Donoghue's original source material or, you know, do you as the actor say, no, I have to deal with the script in front of me. That's enough to be dealing with. You know what? I um, I had a wonderful letter in my inbox from this man here uh, just saying how exciting it would be if we could make this together. And I read the script. I'm obviously very aware who Emma Donoghue is and, and of her books. And um, I felt very lucky to be a part of that level of of talent and like raw filmmaking talent as well. Um, and obviously Alice Birch was also in the mix and I love Alice, I've had a long relationship with her. It kind of felt like a no brainer and regarding the content and, and the, you know, what it was that I would to be playing, I first away, straight away wanted to look at the kind of character that I'd be playing and I did the briefest bit of research of these Nightingale nurses. And they were such uh, amazing and, and 
complex women who basically dro dropped everything to learn and would be sent all over the place to go and save these people and fix people. And they were seen as really, really pure, uh, angelic work women, basically. And in order to become a Nightingale nurse, basically you had to you ha you had to be the purest person and people could write letters and dob you in as being an unpure person and you'd have your nightingale nurse stripped from you so these women were incredible women and the thought of a, an incredible person going to sort out a situation to which she's actually not wanted was just a really fun and like intriguing dynamic and especially having that pure love relationship between her and Anna uh definitely made the whole thing interesting and and made the whole thing peculiar yeah and and that that relationship between your character lib and anna the young girl who has been allegedly starving herself for the for the longest period of time it has a mother daughter feel to it um, and and you had on set with you keila lord cassidy who plays anna phenomenally her mother is played by her real-life mother, Elaine Cassidy. Also phenomenally. That must have given a, a very, I don't know, what kind of dynamic did it give on set? Because there's, there's, there's kind of a sense that, almost without giving too much, Lib, your character, is very fond of this little girl and has her own reasons to be fond of this girl. I think she's fond of her because she's giving it right back. You know, she's also the first person that's showing her love. Um, and showing her, in, you know, giving her interest. She doesn't have any friends there. Uh, she certainly knows that she's not wanted. And the girl that she's been asked to watch is, um, she can see that she's special. She can see that all of these rumours, all of these stories that have travelled far and wide of this special girl. I think her expect, she was kind of expecting someone quite average who was, you know, Quite, quite clearly being amped up and she is a special girl she is a remarkable girl she is there is something special about her and that dynamic and that relationship grows because Anna is the one that gives her love first and kind of breaks down uh, Lib's hardened nurse ways um, and so it's a very authentic and real relationship I don't think it's necessarily straight away a maternal relationship. Mm. I think that grows. And if anything, at the end, I think it comes from a sense of duty to this child. Mm. And I think even at the end, after what they do, it, it's, they're, still, they're still learning how to be mm. in that way. It's not yeah. instant. Yeah, and what, what's interesting too, your character's carrying her own personal traumas. The O'Donnell family, Sebastian, that's the family that Anna is part of. They're carrying a family trauma. Uh, but also you could you can see that Lib, uh, Florence's character, is carrying a bigger trauma from the Crimean War where she has been a Nightingale nurse. And you are shooting this in Ireland, the Ireland of the 1860s, post-famine trauma. Trauma is a big theme here, Sebastian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is a traumatized community, right? It's a country, but this community is especially affected by the previous events and the famine and the hunger. Um, so that was also something that I found really fascinating, the fact that after the famine, this community somehow generates this, this girl, now, and they all want to believe that someone can live without food, out of mana, from heaven, you know, and uh, almost like a, sim a sim symptom uh, of uh, a collective co-creation of the community in a certain way. So they are really willing to bend reality in order for 
things to adapt to what they would like uh, for, for reality to be like, you know, and uh, that sort of like magical thinking um, that comes probably out of trauma collides with uh, the rationality and illuministic approach of uh, Lib. And that collision, I thought it was really interesting to explore. Yeah, and also your, your own, you're a Chilean person uh, by origin. You come from a, a country that knows about that kind of strong Catholicism. Did that feed into the way you approach this particular yeah, topic? Yeah, I, I think the fact that I grew up in, 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 in the south of Chile, uh, which is very green, um, in the 80s, uh, during a, a very tough dictatorship in an extremely Catholic country, uh, was my way in. I didn't know the specificities of the Irish reality, but I thought I knew the dynamics that were taking place there. I knew them, and that, that was my connection. Anna O'Donnell doesn't eat. If a patient in the hospital refuses to eat, we use force. The girl is not to be forced. Nor interrogated or badgered. But she is also not to be denied food should she ask for it. The girl has lived miraculously without food since her 11th birthday. Miraculously is not how she's done it. The purpose of the watch is to determine exactly how Anna O'Donnell has survived with no food. So you want us to watch her? Yes. On the 14th day, you will each present your separate testimony. How long exactly has it been since the last time the girl ate? Four months. That's impossible. A clip there from The Wonder, directed by Sebastian Lelio and adapted from the Emma Donoghue novel of the same name. Joining me now is Neve Algar, who plays the character of Kitty in uh, the film. Kitty knows everything, it would seem. Kitty's <laughs> clued in. Kitty's on it. Yeah, she's, she's, uh, she's keeping an eye on things. Yeah, I, I, I know it's very difficult for you probably to talk about what she does in in the movie, but she's kind of our guide. Is is that a fair way of saying things? Yeah, she's this. She's a, she's the metaphor. She's a, she's bringing us into the story, and once we're in there, it's kind of reminding the audience that the purpose of of stories is that we can deal with life. We tell ourselves stories in order to kind of understand the world a bit better, and that's and so it's this. It's this bridge between getting lost in the story and then being reminded that the story is having an effect on you. And I think that's that little wink of going, see, that's that's the power of stories. Yeah, there's 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 a kind of a a nod to storytelling the whole way through it. And your character is the one that reminds us, remember, you're being, you're being told a story here and what a story it is in and around just post the, the Irish famine, uh, the famine here in Ireland. That that is a huge topic to be brought up, isn't it? Really, yeah, and it's something that I hadn't really seen done in cinema, in Irish cinema before. And um, Ari Ari Wegner, the the cinematographer, has really captured the the Irish landscape. It's you can just imagine, like as you can just imagine, but it is it's that that isolation and it's it's a harsh environment to have lived in, especially when you're living off the land and you're so open and exposed, and to you know to depict uh, almost like a mood and a tone that happens so closely to one of the greatest mm. events in, in kind of history. 
and how how people were kind of left post that and where I suppose where their beliefs were lie and and you can understand how religion was such a huge pillar for a society to hold on to and to to gain some sort of I suppose some sort of like peace and and hope you know I think that's that was it it, it served it served some sort of hope and it was it was amazing to be given the opportunity to play you know an Irish woman from the Midlands and I'm from the Midlands so yeah of course it's a huge huge honor yeah and, and I've it the first time we see you and I think the first words you use when you're actually visible to us on screen are Ask Gaelic, they're, they're Irish words. They uh, are. <laughs> I like I did not go to an Irish school and my and my good friend of mine, Donal O'Haley, he's an actor and you know he's he fluent uh Irish speaker. So I was like I was like, I know this is gonna be sound so stupid, Donald, but please just give me just the correct, correct pronunciation because I'm going to be absolutely pulled apart if I do not have this bang on. And it's only just a couple of words. Um but yeah, it's it's you know, it's amazing to I think it's like introducing more Irish into 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 films, and I'm very proud of. Yeah, uh, of course, um, uh, Donal O'Haley, part of Aracht, uh, and that dealt with the, the famine period as well, exactly, but in a yeah. different way, it, uh, as did Black Forty Seven and Irish, obviously in both of those films. But the wonder is that post-famine period, uh, and Kitty. There's a whole aspect around uh, Kitty her, herself you know, about this idea of storytelling, because we have the Tom Burke character, who's a reporter here, telling this story. Uh, we have, I, I suppose, Florence Pugh's character as well. She's kind of giving her version of the events of the, the, the girl, little girl who's starving herself, we think. She's telling the story of that to this committee of, of men. Uh, that, that storytelling aspect really is at the heart of what we're being told here. Yeah, it's it's the idea that we tell ourselves stories in order to survive, in order to make sense of the world. The characters believe in their stories. They believe in in what it is that they're saying, and it makes life easier. It makes it it allows you to understand the world a bit better. You were talking about how wonderful it is to see the Irish countryside in in the way we see it, and we do see it. We see it in 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 a, in a love, not in a drab, dreary type of way. It's very colourful, and the costuming is very colourful. Uh, as well, when uh, Sebastian was talking to you, the director, Sebastian Lelio, when he was talking to you about the film, was that kind of hopeful aspect that you've touched on? Was that an important aspect of what he was looking for? Yeah, to to not, you know, because it's especially with uh, dealing with a, such a strong and heavy subject, especially around the famine, is that you the, the countryside is full of colour in that when you when you look at it for its natural beauty, it's it's got all these shapes and tones. And he's he's a he's a director that really paints in the canvas of the frame and the use of colours of where that pops out. You know, when you have these like amazing shots of, of Florence walking through, which was the, the countryside there in Wicklow, and it's, it's, it looks completely untouched. You can just imagine that that's what it was, you know, hundreds of years ago. It's such a beautiful depiction of the uh, Irish countryside. Yeah, although I'm sure that shooting in the Irish countryside is not always a beautiful experience. Was the weather was the weather a huge impediment? No, the weather behaved. It did. Oh, apart from, there was a few days where it was lashing rain, I'm not going to lie, yeah, but majority of the time, it was it was pretty good, apart from I had this bonnet, this little bonnet hat, and it's, essentially, it's like wearing an umbrella on your head, and when it's windy, you're, it's like you kind of take off you know it kind of drags you you kind of go with the bonnet and your head kind of moves around 
but the, no, the weather, it was lovely. It was, it was very warm. And, you know, we were playing it for, I suppose the season was in and you had to layer up. That was the whole idea. It was like back then, you know what I mean? There's no hot water bottles. So you, you layer up. And I, I guess to getting to shoot a, a film of this size, I mean, with a, with an Oscar winning director at the helm and actors like Florence Pugh in there as, as well. Tom Burke, who plays that reporter character that I said, it's, it's a big film. Lovely to be doing that at home. Yeah, no, it's I love going home to work and I, I hadn't I'd Johnny Shaw, who was our first AD and Neil Gearan. I worked with them years ago on on one of my first ever films and so to come back you know six years later and work with the lads and you know they're they're two of the best you know they're they're amazing in what they do and they make they make everyone feel so comfortable and brilliant fun and yeah. you know Florence she's amazing she just she'd make you feel so at home and she made sure to, to get to know everyone and know everyone's names and you know she's got so much to do every day and you just it's a, a huge amount of respect that you see the the effort and the professionalism that that's why she's that's why she's so good at what she does. Neve Algar there, who stars in The Wonder alongside Florence Pugh and indeed Kieran Hines, one of the actors that's in there as well. The film is released in cinemas on November the second. We will be reviewing it on Thursday night's programme. Céline Santamé is an Afro-French double bassist, singer and poet. She developed her love of jazz music while volunteering at the annual Django Reinhardt Festival in France and released her first album, Mare Undarum, to much critical acclaim in 2020. That album navigated between contemporary jazz, Afro-Caribbean rhythms and modern classical music. But for her most recent album, she relocated from her home in Paris to her native Martinique and drew upon influences she picked up travelling the world over the last few years, from North Africa to the West Indies, Cuba, Spain and Italy. That album, released earlier this year, is titled Potomita, and Céline Santamé brings the music to Ireland for the first time this week with performances in Dublin, Wicklow and Cork. Delighted to have her join us on Arena this evening. And this That's quite a journey you've been on, really, uh, Céline, just in the last three years, travelling around the world. Cuba, North Africa, Spain, Italy, the West Indies. Were you on a musical journey or was there something else happening that was bringing you to all those different places? Well, hi, Sean. Thank you for having me. I mean, I've been going where the music got me. I've been to New Orleans recently doing research, going on a three months residency. And it's just it's fantastic to be going places, studying music, meeting musicians. This is what I'm doing. And I'm guessing while yeah. you're here, you might pick up some Irish influences, but we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that in a minute. <laughs> yes. the, the, your second album, uh, Potomitam, was made during the pandemic. You were at, you're back in your native Martinique for that period. Explain the title of the album to me, if you would, first of all, Céline. So Potomitam, in the voodoo tra- tradition in Haiti, it means the centre pillar that holds the structure. That pillar is the fundamental element that holds everything. And in the French Caribbean, it's pretty much the same meaning, but the person, it's a person that holds the structure of the house and it's the mother. And so we have this image of strong women who holds the entire family structure. There's several meanings to to this word. It's also controversial now. Controversial is a big word, but I should say like kind of controversial because we always call this women from the Caribbean, potomitant, 
but at the same time, they're not as uh, respected in the society, at least not mm. as they should. A lot of, of, of women didn't get the recognition they should have gotten. This is basically everything that I had in mind when I when I thought of that title. And I guess it's no mistake then that on an 11 track album, the song, the title track, Potomitan, is track number six, right there in the middle, the central structure to the whole album itself. Let's have a listen to the song. <laughs> Tam, the central track, the title track and the very important track in the latest album from Céline Santamé, who's coming to Ireland as part of a music network tour, but she's with us on Arena this evening. Is there a particular vocal style that you're using there? What, what, are, what is the tradition there? <laughs> it's kind of my tradition. Um, I sometimes make up words or language. Sometimes they stay the same. The, the, the meaning is, is always something that, that stick. It's very personal. And sometimes I just improvise. It's a very, very spiritual way of singing that I feel comfortable doing. So I guess it's it's something akin to the jazz singer who might improvise, not necessarily using words around what he or she might be singing. There's something similar going on there. What about the percussion instrument that we heard? Who is playing it and what is the specific instrument? So one of the drums that you can hear is the ka drum. So this one is from Guadeloupe. And the other drum is Bele drum. And this one is from Martinique. And so the, the Martinican drum, you play it sitting on the drum and you do sound variation with your feet. And the ka drum from Guadeloupe, you play it more or less like a, a djembe. The technique is, is really different, but it's, it's you, you sit on something and then you have it, you know, straight. And it wasn't you who was doing all of that while singing, although you do play the double bass while singing in several other tracks on the on the album. Tell me a little bit about the, the origins of that particular instrument in your in your music, your music life. I mentioned it, the association with jazz when you went to the annual Django Reinhardt Festival in, in France, but there is a, an association with classical music that I think possibly goes back further than that. Yes. When I started my, my musical journey, I started in a so-called jazz uh, school. But I also went to the conservatory at the same time in Paris. I studied there for about three years until I decided to go to New York and, and, and see what was happening over there. So my classical training and the school that I was at, it, it was a, a pretty short period. It was just like three, four years. But it was really important because I really, I really enjoyed that, that time at the conservatory because it was a, a music that was foreign to me, not something that, I, that I'm used to playing. And I was rather new to the bow technique and everything. And, and so it was really interesting. And it brought me a lot of knowledge of repertoire that I now listen to or that I want to play now sometimes. And so I pick and choose some pieces that I like, like in the first record, Valsacho, or in the latest record, this tune called Melisande. Yes, I was going to ask you about Melisande because um, the, the dedication within it after the title Melisande is Amami Jacqueline. 
I hope I haven't mangled. She's your grandmother, uh, was your grandmother. That's, that, that's her name. Tell us a little bit about where this song came, the composition of it, and, and when you recorded it, which is, a, I think there's a beautiful symmetry in the date that you recorded it. Yes, we performed this tune. It's a piece from Jean Sibelius. When I played it, my grandmother had passed recently. And the piece is so beautiful. It moved me and it brought tears to my eyes. And I was performing and I was like, oh, this is so beautiful. And I was thinking of her so much because she, she had helped for me to, to study at the conservatory, but she never saw me play ever. She never saw me hold an instrument. She never saw me doing what she helped me do. And so when this, her centennial happened in 2020, because she was born in 1920, in 2020, it was a hundred birthday. Mm. So I, I felt like it was important to celebrate. And so I recorded this, this piece. It was for her. I called it Melisande to my Mie Jacqueline, to my grandmother. That's Melisande from Céline Saint-Aimé from her current album, uh, which is called Potomitan, and it, I'm sure, is among the pieces that Céline will be playing on her upcoming Music Network tour. It, it really brings across that lovely classical style that you, you talked about, Céline, and, and how you picked that up in the, in the conservatory. But I, I, w- I was interested to know, I mentioned it earlier on, when you, when you come to Ireland, how aware are you of Irish traditional music are you hoping to start to maybe bring some of that into your into your practice or what are your plans regarding that while you're here? Well, I want to discover it. I have very little knowledge of what's going on in Ireland as far as the musical tradition. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to know musicians who can show me. <laughs> <laughs> and I really, I'm always, I'm always in awe of any culture, what the tradition is and, and how things are going. For sure, yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure there'll be those who'll be only too keen to to share their music with you. Apart from music, you also have a passion for cartography and the moon. I think it's in fact cartography inspired by the moon in some ways. Does this go back to your name? Your own name has a reference to the moon within it, hasn't it? Yes, Selene in um, in the Greek mythology means the goddess of the full moon. Ever since I was a kid, I was into the moon. I was looking at her. As I got older, I started studying the maps, the maps of the moon, and you see all the poetry that is in these maps. The names are beautiful. There's lunar seas and mountains. It's just so beautiful and pretty. So that's what helped me found, find um, the name for my first record called Mare Undarum. This is literally, as I was looking at the map, I saw that lunar sea. Of course, it's not a sea. It's a, it's a crater, but mm. they call it sea. And so I saw that one called Mare Undahum, which means the sea of waves in Latin. I was like, that's a good start. I'm going to start with that. <laughs> and, and then the whole world of, of, you know, songs that you attach to the idea and the concept come and, and just forms a record. 
We'll finish up, um, if, if, if you wouldn't mind, Celine. Um, you, you, there are several languages, I think, across the, the current record, um, including your own made-up language and made-up words, as you, as you mentioned to us in, in the title track. But I want to finish with the final track on the album, which is a, an English title, White Bird, Silver Tree. And this is one of your own poems. Maybe you'd introduce this piece for us uh, before we listen. The centre of the tune is the, is the poem. It's my first poem in English. I was walking in my uncle's banana plantation in Martinique and I was looking for inspiration because the place is so beautiful and I couldn't find anything. And then at some point I sat down with my little poetry notebook and I was trying to write something. So I literally wrote what was happening. Everything you have is is it's sometimes right here just sit down and get the inspiration so i'm playing guitar on that tune and and then the strings are accompanying sony on the drums is playing some so yeah that was a fun tune to record on the guitar because that's i'm not a guitar player but <laughs> well you're doing a good job on us on this track we'll finish up by listening to white birds silver tree from celine santeme i am wrong So I sit, hiding from the farmer I saw earlier. I shouldn't be here, yet I feel more at home than in my own house. And the white birds are gone. Expecting a survey. That's White Bird, Silver Tree, taken from the album Potomi Tam from Afro-French. Double bass player, guitarist, singer and composer Céline Santimé. Céline and her trio have just arrived in Ireland ahead of their mini tour, which is coordinated by Music Network Ireland. The trio's first time to visit these shores, in fact. They'll perform at the Sugar Club in Dublin tomorrow, Tuesday, October the 25th, the Courthouse Arts Centre in Tillahealy in County Wicklow. On Wednesday, the Mermaid uh, Arts Centre in Bray, this Thursday, and the Triscoll Arts Centre in Cork next Sunday, October the 23rd. And you can find out full details of the tour at the web, on the website of Music Network, which is musicnetwork.ie. Uh, we had our big night in the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary on Friday evening with the announcement of the winner of the RT Short Story competition. Great night was had by all. So it is album reviews tonight. Unusual, I think, for a Monday. But the wait for Swifties around the world is over. Taylor Swift is back with her 10th album, Midnights. There were even more delight for Irish fans with the mention of an Irish county in one of the songs. I can't give it all away. We have to hold on to that bit of information. Uh, next up, Arctic Monkeys are back with their album, The Car. A band from Sheffield, fronted by Alex Turner, burst onto the scene back in 2006. Now in 2022, the band have come back with a sound that is more soul and strings than rock. Will it divide or will it bring the fans together? <laughs> Finally, Stumpwork is the latest offering from Dry Cleaning, the English band who made their first impression last year with a debut album called New Long Leg. Brian Boyd, Andrea Cleary have been listening. Uh, they're in studio with me this evening. Let's start with Taylor Swift. The new album is called Midnights and it opens with a track called Lavender His. I've been under scrutiny. Yeah, oh yeah. You handle it beautifully. Yeah, oh yeah. All of this is new to me. Yeah, oh yeah. 
Alexander Hayes opening track on Midnight's the new album from Taylor Swift Andrea Cleary and Brian Boyd with me in studio this evening um, she broke Spotify and I don't mean she broke them financially I mean she broke <laughs> she broke Spotify on, on the night of the release of this album Andrea yeah she certainly didn't break them financially I'm sure they're they're sending her they're managing a, 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 a thank you bouquet of roses um, she did break Spotify as, as they say uh, the most uh, amount of streams for a single album in a day and when it was released fittingly at midnight uh, their servers completely crashed it was only for a few minutes yeah. but I'm sure she sat back and was was quietly delighted about that <laughs> yes there's a kind of a poetic justice of some kind in there I won't pursue it any further uh, Brian what is she what is she doing on this album I mean there's a reason why you know so many people are listening to her she's not yeah she's not just the biggest act in the world today. She's the most talked about act in the world today. Hence all the fuss over the weekend about mm. the release of this. And what it is about Taylor Swift is that she's from that tradition. Remember, she remember she started off as a country music phenomenon mm. when she was a teenager. So her big influences would be Loretta Lynn, Patsy Cline, who are very much in the storytelling tradition. But what Taylor Swift does is she uses the vernacular of social media and she marries that to country music storytelling tradition. And she's not afraid. She'll swap out the pedal steel guitar for dubstep or for house beats. So mm. she's using musically. She's also contemporary. But at the bottom, she's still a country music artist. That song we just heard, it's away from all the bleeps and away from all the production mm. finesse. She's talking about the pressures on her as a as a young, good-looking woman in the music industry and how she doesn't want to conform to that the 1950s idea of a woman that she says the music industry still has. So there's a lot of meat and potatoes to her yeah. as well. And and also there's a bit of heartbreak in here. I don't know, again, not every country singer has to have had their heart broken to know how to sing a heartbreak oh, song. So. But she, she, seems to, she seems to be good at the Isle Heartbreak songs because particularly I listened to Midnight's 3am edition with just 20 tracks on it. Mm. It was a little bit over uh, over-enthusiastic. But particularly towards the end of that, set of tracks there's a lot of sore sore heart at play yeah I think with with this album um I I, I think she's she's distilled what makes her so great part part of that is the great breakup songs but there's there's a shift that's happened with Taylor I think in in this album in particular post folklore and evermore which were her two folk albums that were produced by mm. Aaron Dessner dur- during lockdowns 2020 and 2021 where the the source of the heartbreak or the the point of view isn't the person that she's missing. It's her and what she's learning from and what she's yeah. grow and how she's growing through that. And I think that now she she re, she sounds her age. She's she's a woman in her thirties and she's writing music very much from that point of view now. And yep. it's really refreshing and really great. So I think. what Irish county does she mention? <laughs> well, it's there's, there's some argument, but um, it was clear to my ears. Let's have a listening to. Uh, it's a track called Sweet Nothing and just listening to the opening lines when it gets going here I spy with my little tired eye tiny as a firefly a pebble that we picked up last July down deep inside your pocket We almost forgot it Does it ever miss Wicklow sometimes? Ooh. 
There you go. Perhaps it was the entire population of County Wicklow that crashed. <laughs> that crashed Spotify on Friday in Wicklow, night. It's British Bay. I think tomorrow, if you go out around British Bay, there'll be big signs. No pebbles left. <laughs> Taylor Swift Beach this way. Pick up your Taylor Swift it's Memorial <laughs> pebble. <laughs> yeah, but but it's classy. I mean, what she does there, but it so happens to be Wicklow. But she just makes it so specific. You can see them. You can see how that happened. The couple pick up the pebble on the beach. They put it into the pocket. Uh, but, the but, memento. But Sean, I wonder uh, because she, the reason she was in Wicklow is her boyfriend uh, was in conversation with friends. Mm, Sean Sean yeah. and he actually co-wrote that song. I think he wrote that song because it's not very good the lyrics. You don't like the lyrics? It's not very good. Oh, I'm totally sold on them. <laughs> I quite like that one. It, it's not. It's not my favorite on it. I. Th- I think the album has much better songs in the first half of the record. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a run of three songs on it um, that are pretty much close to perfect. Antihero, Snow on the Beach, and You're on Your Own, Kid. I think are tracks three, four, and five. All right. And but each Sean, of them are we just perfect. Just talking about how you know country music and heartache, and mm. that song. I get the idea that the two of them are in matching onesies. And we're just saying that <laughs> you see. we were saying it would be far better if they broke up and she wrote a heartbreak album. I don't know. I like <laughs> those sort of songs where I love you, you love me, we're walking on the beach in Wicklow. They don't do anything. Yeah, I but they make great wish videos. Them all the best. Yeah, and let them wear their onesies in the, in the video. Um, the, the argument was whether she said Wicklow. Clear as a bell to all three of us. Yeah. She did say Wicklow. Yeah. Stars yeah. from you, Brian. Four and a half. Four and a half. And four for me. Four from you. All right. And that's what she gets from an Irish, from Irish <laughs> critics for mentioning Wicklow. I'm sure the people of Wicklow are delighted too. <laughs> Up next, we have Arctic Monkey Sheffield Band fronted by Alex Turner. Title track of the new album is called the same as the album itself. It is called The Car. But it ain't a holiday Fix something from the car That is the title track from Arctic Monkey's new album, The Car. Andrea, uh, you know, if you think back to uh, whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not, their debut album back mm. in 2006. This band is unrecognisable, but the, the beginnings of that kind of different sound came in the last album didn't it? It did Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino was uh, the 2018 album that really saw the shift in Mm. in their sound they've been through a few different kind of iterations of a sound AM was was a big switch up for them but last year they very much walked into the hotel lobby surrounded by their beautiful model girlfriends and had their champagne and really just entered into this like cruisy you know like smoothie sort of sound mm. it's very loungy type of feel really off this lounge album. and I it, it was very very divisive um, for fans and even now there's a lot of uh, a lot of fans will complain after going to see them that they're not they're not playing mm. the old hits but um, I, I as a response to that I think the car is such a magnificent um, in, in indication that they have no plans to go anywhere but where they plan on going and this is the next logical step yeah, for them. And, and Brian, you, I, I think you're making a comparison here to the Beatles. Uh, in the sense that the Beatles went from um, um, She Loves You, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah to Sgt Pepper's in five yeah. years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, 
I'm not saying the Arctic Monkeys have done yeah, that. It's but, taken them a little but, bit but, longer. But, 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 but as you were referencing the first, the difference between the first album and this, on the last album, they sound like Serge Gainsbourg. Mm-hmm. Now, they started off as a Sheffield New Wave band. That was a huge, okay, it took them 18 years to get there. On this album, he sounds like Curtis Mayfield and Isaac Hayes. It's all soul. It's a very, he's got that, he's using that very sweet, honeyed mm. soul voice. And you've got those John Barry type 1960s James Bond soundtrack strings. Absolutely. It's, it sounds to me, it's an album written for an, a Luche nightclub in the south of France. Yeah, that's what I kind of thought I was asking both of you before we started. Is, is this a big concept album? And I wondered if there was, you know, some kind of journey from mm-hmm. in the car from the very first track, There Better Be a, heart, a Heartbreak, right down to the, the final track on the album. Well, I think this this song, this this album rather, like their first album, is, is c- concerned with the kind of the grittier side of of whatever it is that mm. they're dealing with here it's fame and money and success so I think in in, in that sense it, it is a concept album about being like like Taylor Swift with, with, with Midnight's that kind of that late night the grittiness yeah. of it um, and I think that that's all over this album and it's but, but what's so lovely about it is that I think it uh, rather than Tranquility Base Hotel Casino, which was very out there, there's a real sense of authenticity and longing and vulnerability yeah. in Alex Turner's lyrics yeah, here. I, I, the, the, the lyrics and Big Ideas in particular mm. really struck me that he's kind of going, you know, the, the, what he felt about the band, where the band might go, mm, what it yeah. might become, what has succeeded and what has failed. It's a very open and honest song. Let's have a listen to a bit of it. The kind you'd rather not share Strings are so beautiful. Mm. There, you you mentioned uh, Brian John Barry, and it, yeah. it, it kind of is like it is like a, a, a very slow type of Bond ballad. That one, isn't it? And it, it is, and it all sounds. The whole album sounds like it's hungover and it's jet lagged at the same time. And there is, um, as Andrea mentioned, that whole thing talking about the downside of fame and money and stuff, like the songs by Jet Skis. And he uses he the beautiful symbolism where he talks about the glittering mirror ball. Yeah. And they, they sang about their mirror ball on their very first album 20 years ago. So that's ah, a nice right. connection. So it's almost like they looked at the mirror ball in the early days and went, we want that. Now they have it. And they're going, that mirror, that mirror ball, when it shatters... It, yeah. when, when you pull the curtains back it's like mm. the Wizard of Oz yeah because you don't necessarily think of the, the rock band with the big emotional heft like that mm. you get in that the ballad of what could have been I had big mm. ideas for the band and not that it had been a failure but that just things went off in their own direction mm. this one worked I think for both of you Andrea very much yeah there are a lot of people who still wish that this band were the scrappy lads with guitar riffs from Sheffield um, I'm not one of them I think this is another stunner and it's another four stars for me all right and Brian? It's, it's, it's the album of the year so far, four and a half. Album of the year so far? Yes, All right. yes indeed. And, 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 well, there we go. In October, we give an album of the year now. It might just last to the end of the year. Let us continue on then to our final offering this evening. Stump work from Dry Cleaning English Band made their first impression last year. Debut album called New Long Leg. Here is the latest single from the current album. It's called Don't Press Me. Message of peace. 
Don't press me from drag cleaning and new album called Stump Stump Work Stump Work. The first album they, they, don't, they don't give you easy names. Do the new long leg was the title of the debut album. Yeah. Um, how different was it? Or is it kind of is this more of same Andrea? It is not at all different. Um, I, I'm very very happy that this is basically more of the same. It's a little bit home, a little bit more honed, uh, a little bit clearer in in what they're trying to do musically. But the unique selling point of this band remains Florence Shaw's deadpan delivery, mm. her stream of consciousness lyrics that I find personally captivating and humorous and unique but I don't think everybody I was going to say I think there may be division in the house (laughs) this evening more divided than a conservative party Mm. in Britain one could argue (laughs) Uh, Brian Boyd her shtick is and this is the this is the only reason the only shtick they have really is that the vocalist Florence she, she walks around the streets picking up conversations she hears she looks at she if she sees a shop sign thinks it's interesting she writes it down and then she just jumbles all these words around and for example so to just to give an example of, of the of what you get is a, the first verse of the single which is supposed to be the best song of the album Don't Press Me goes as follows I'm not shocked it happens all the time just don't touch my gaming mouse August new memory month there you go you were not impressed by no, that no, brand no no there, there is a time and a place for this and I was mentioning that for example that's doggerel so you, you, yeah. you've, you've got irregular verse irregular rhyme that, that can work very well you, you, it works in Chaucer it works in Finnegan's Wake the problem here is that it's placed over the most derivative post-punk music yeah, which, I, I, which legally is, is so close to works by Pavement and PIL it's unbelievable well of course they so might say we, this album it's, for it's, me. It's, I'm sure they would tell us it's their own work but um, uh, on that subject I did find myself more than once uh, here Andrea looking down saying has the track changed or mm. is that am I still listening to that three minute track that I've been listening to for, for ten minutes it's, it's very similar across that track is different from the others but lots of them are very alike I, I, I agree musically but I think for me the thing that's always drawn me in is, is Shaw's lyrics and that's the thing that I find my ear most right. attuned to. So for, for me, no, I, I I find this really adventurous and uh, and image inducing. Um, I I, th- I thought it was great fun. All right. I really loved it. So what are you saying, stars? Um, this is another four. A solid four, four, four. You've had a great week. Yeah, I great don't week think you're me. as happy on this one, Brian. Not at all. It's it's the music is beige. Um, <laughs> it's 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 a gimmick for gullible pitchfork. Type listeners. Oh, I won't take it what, too one personally, Brian. One, one and a half. One and a half. For beige, gullible pitchfork type listeners, a beige music. Gullible, okay. gullible pitchfork. Gullible pitchfork. Type okay, that's dry cleaning and stump work. Clearly a divided house on that one. But um, more or less unity in terms of Taylor Swift's Midnight's and Arctic Monkeys, the car from Brian Boyd and Andrea Clary.